0: Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. I'm here with Jimmy Copeland. Jimmy, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, nice to see you.
0: Nice to see you too. Glad we could finally connect like this. Yeah. It's super exciting to have you on the show. You sort of popped into my consciousness in the last (laughs) couple of months with the Rural Spark. Is the Rural Spark new or is this something that's been going on for a long time?
1: It's new. Yes, um, I've been an economic developer for a long time, but I've branched out and doing my own little thing. Kind of, uh, I feel like I'm an anomaly because I've stayed in small communities. A lot of times people start in small communities and then they just, you know, they move up to larger ones and then, um, you know, I've just been doing it. I just look up and it's been almost 18 years and here I am. And so I'm like, you know, I should start trying to pass on some of this information because there's a lot of nuances that come with small communities. So that's kind of how the that, real spark was birthed.
0: I think that's absolutely true. I, uh, so often you see in small towns when they um, have a tr- some turnover of some kind, you mm-hmm. you sort of lose the institutional knowledge and everyone sort of starts over again. Yes. You know, you, you see that all the time. And so it's good that you're, you know, trying to do something like that.
1: Thank you. I'm trying.
0: So are you a, are you a consultant? How would you, well, describe, how would you describe the rules, spark?
1: I don't know. It's an online educational platform. And of course, I do other things. Like, I mean, I can do consulting and speaking and all of those other things that go with it. But I started with just a course, an online course for economic developers, especially those that are in small communities. And I launched my course, and kind of that's where it started. And so now I'm fixing to um, relaunch that course. You know, I've learned some different things, and I'm trying to tweak it and make it a little better, of course. And I'm going to relaunch it and go from there.
0: So, what's in this course, or what? What are you hoping is going to be in this course?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it is. Um, it's eight modules, and it's each module is a different subject. So. One of them is about building momentum because in small communities, you know, it's a lot of times we're finding apathy. And so we kind of start the whole course with building momentum and just small things, you know, to build momentum in your community. Um, We talk a lot about priorities, setting priorities with your board and your council members so that you have a clear path as an economic developer because people like to tell you what you're not doing sometimes. Uh, So having that clear path is very helpful. And we skip that step a lot of times. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but we really, we skip it a lot of times in small communities. Um, And so then we talk about um, kind of celebrating success and then um, progress over perfection because things move slow in small communities. So we just talk about a lot of different subjects. Each module is a different subject.
0: And so this is for... New rural economic developers or are there things that who've been more experienced mm-hmm. could also learn from?
1: Well, certainly um it's the most helpful probably to someone who's new to economic development, but then also possibly new to small communities. Um and, and could it can cross over as well. I, I've really targeted it to economic developers, but it could cross over to chambers of commerce and um anybody in a community development position because some of it is just mindset and sort of the nuances of dealing with small communities, but certainly seasoned economic developers can um, learn something. We can always learn something. So
0: that's interesting that you sort of made it broad like that for anyone in a community development position in a small town. When I was in a small town in California, I was uh, the head of the Chamber of Commerce. Huh. And it was very interesting to me to see. The people in a variety of different roles that were very active in community development, the Arts Council, the Fire Safe Council, the, you know, all all these different councils that had their own niches and their own agendas. They were all like heavily invested and involved in their own way in economic development. So is that something that you see?
1: Well, certainly, and I feel like economic development touches every part of a of a community, re- really, regardless of the size. You know, if you really want to um, plan strategically, you've got to bring in that economic development angle. And I feel like if the people that are consciously doing that, those communities are always going to be a little bit more progressive because they're thinking through how that affects their businesses and what makes um, it easier to do business in their community. You know, even if you're just talking about roads or sidewalks, all of those things play into business and making it easier for your business community to do what they do. So certainly.
0: Like I said, you really jumped onto my radar in the last couple of weeks, and I know that I think it was last week you held the Summer Spark Challenge. Yes. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes. So that was four days and each day was one hour a day. And we had a different speaker each day and um, it really turned out to be fantastic. Um, Anybody could join. It was free to just listen in to those and we made the recordings available. So you can find those on my website at the rulespark.com. But each speaker um, kind of highlighted a little something different about their work in small communities. All of them were seasoned professionals, um, doing doing it maybe from a different angle so um it was really great a couple of them had authored books and so the books have one lady was uh ilana Proust was just launching her book the other book 13 ways to kill your community um has been out for a long time but still so much so much relevance in those books so anyway we, we just talked about a lot of different ideas and um yeah
0: were there any real surprises, anything, takeaways that you got
1: that well, maybe you hadn't expected? Yes, I, I did write, um, I kind of, I did a blog post on my website about my 10 big takeaways. And um, let's see, and I, instead of just really recapping the whole event, I really just took the big takeaways and kind of wrote about those things and why they're important. Uh, for instance, um, leadership was number one on the list because every speaker, without being prompted, of course, hit on leadership and then just creating the ecosystems for startups. That was another big takeaway. Um, having conversations with all different parts of your community. Um, the people, you know, were really, I believe it was Alana and, and she had a name for it. Um, network bias, I believe was the word that she used. but. We're really bad about just talking to the people that we know over and over and not always getting the opinions of everyone in our community. Uh, So having those conversations is really important. And let's see, we talked a lot about um, people are moving back to smaller places. And this is kind of our time to shine in small communities because the pandemic brought people to our communities. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, yeah, and just doing economic development in different ways. Uh, we're, we're kind of taught the canned, you know, things about economic development and really in small communities, we have to get creative and we have to do things a different way than they've always been done and just kind of not being scared to do something different and do what works in your community and taking things and making them scalable to your community, regardless of the size. Those are a few of the highlights.
0: <laughs> well, th- those are excellent, and like you said, um, you can go on your website. Yes, and you can view those recordings. Or are they are mm-hmm. they audio or, ju- or video or
1: video? We recorded video. it was a Zoom like this, and so we oh, recorded those, and you can watch them. And Good. then you can read my ta- my top ten takeaways. Uh, Good. We'll five we'll five we'll five link notes.
0: to both of those in the <laughs> in the show notes so that everybody yeah. can go and do that. So that was called the summer spark. Is there going to be a fall spark?
1: Ooh. well maybe
0: <laughs> well good i i one, think uh, one thing
1: at a time yes I, I sh- i'm gonna write that down fall spark gotta get that going now
0: that's right better check in yeah get that get that now, going because i, I think a winter spark
1: you know all yeah, that we, c- we can be seasonal
0: absolutely
1: yeah it, it was really a lot of fun and it was very educational um and some of the there was a group of Canadians that were listening in and they actually held like a post little, uh, they called it a round table, but a follow-up to kind of what they heard. So I listened in yesterday on that and I thought that was fantastic that they um, kind of had the foresight to do that. And I thought that was really great.
0: It's amazing how this whole year and a half now of being trapped at home and not being able to, mm-hmm. to get together at conferences and, and uh, regional yeah. meetings and all that, it's really changed how we sort of interact. And now it's all digital first, mm-hmm. but all these other things sort of organically are popping up and that we're, you know, being created. And so I, I think it's the truth of the matter is this is phenomenal, the, the summer spark. And it, this is probably not something that would have happened had everything been normal.
1: You're right, you're right, and now we just don't think anything of it to just jump online and kind of have a round table with our friends or other experts I mean, and it's so much more people are so much more accessible, obviously digitally, you know um we're speaking with uh, we had two people from Canada. I'm in Texas, if you can't tell by my accent um but we had two people from Canada in the summer spark. And you know, that's just we can't we couldn't have done that at a even a conference, even though I do miss conferences and I want to go back in person. Um, but still I'm enjoying the the ability to do some of these things and meet new people. It's really expanded my network.
0: Absolutely. And it's it's hard to believe that only a year and a half ago everybody was afraid to sit in front of the camera and <laughs> yes. all the mishaps that happened at the beginning. And now we're experts. No. Absolutely. <laughs> We have
1: figured out a way to do it and get to do what we need and keep doing what we need. And I will say that, you know, the pandemic, I hated the pandemic, of course, like everybody. But I did love seeing that my business, my local businesses really rise to the challenge and try the things that they were really scared of before. And they saw it be lucrative for their businesses. And that just kind of blessed my heart. You know,
0: what kinds of things stand out for you?
1: Well, I mean simple things like a Facebook live I mean businesses have been doing those for quite some time, but there were so many of our retail businesses that are older populations, and they were a little bit um intimidated, of course by the camera and all of that and so she kind of like one of them that I'm thinking of, she just kind of slowly kind of dipped her toes in the water and then it just turned out to be fantastic because people were sitting on their couches they couldn't go anywhere, so it was fun to jump on and um, buy some things, you know, and see what was in the store because you couldn't go into the stores. And so things like that, I thought were just really great.
0: That was absolutely amazing. That and um, just, you know, creating e-commerce setups mm-hmm. and just yes. all of that. It's a whole different world than it was two years ago. Yes. So that's we good. even
1: We even had uh, virtual job fairs and now it doesn't quite seem totally weird because there's been a few more people doing it. But when they first started doing them, a year or so ago it was like how are we going to do that you know
0: <laughs> right and that's but no longer the it. question ever yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah wow. they did it and it was great and they're still doing them that way and in person so
0: let's hope that they can continue doing it in person and that things cool down yeah. where, where i am in texas i'm in texas as well i'm in galveston okay. and covid's burning hot and heavy again so yes we're hopeful that this goes quickly Yes, it's all we can say.
1: I hope it's short lived and you know, people no one has shut down yet. So fingers crossed that that absolutely I I think we're I think we're
0: seeing it, yeah, different.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because we've learned how to handle it and we've learned probably, you know, like if you're a manufacturing facility, you know, those people really suffered because, you know, it just seemed to go everywhere. But even those places have learned to shift, you know, and do things Mm -hmm. differently. And so hopefully we don't have a complete Shut down like we did yes. before. <laughs> yes, let's
0: cross our fingers. When I was researching you. I stumbled upon your TikTok, and I have to be <laughs> honest, I'm not a big TikTok user. <laughs> In fact, I'm not a TikTok user at all. I remember You're the, not the other day. You're not a TikTok user at all. Yeah. No, but the other day, I've a I have three three sons, and the the middle one is about almost 16, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, Dad, can I get a TikTok account?" And I said, "Yeah, if it's if there's <laughs> inappropriate TikTok? stuff, get off. Let me know." Yeah. But I didn't know anything about it. So I was really surprised to see your your TikToks. I think I mm-hmm. I think I first went to your Instagram because at least I was familiar enough to understand how Instagram worked. Yeah. And then and then I thought, oh, these are just TikToks. Cause it said really yeah. like, you cool, know, Like TikTok was cut off at the bottom. So I yeah. went to your TikTok and I and I watched some of them. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And you had this one you had a whole series that you were doing hashtag small town hacks and you were talking about <laughs> small towns in YouTube. So can you give us that advice? Because I thought that was fantastic advice.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I, I kind of thought th- the whole reason I'm using TikTok is because I want to bring a younger generation to the whole community development aspect of things. Um, and that was kind of my premise of like, um, just sending that message out to those younger people that because we got to have somebody take our spot someday. Um, but YouTube, you know, there if you have somebody in your community who's YouTube famous, um, would you even know it? So let's just say that something completely different than what you're doing, you may never come across their YouTube, and they're probably not marketing it to you, and you don't even know that you've got a YouTube sensation in your town, or that you've got somebody who's trying to build a YouTube audience. Um, And I think especially in small communities, um, it would just be good to know those things. And, and like sometimes you're not even thinking about it. So I follow several little families on YouTube, you know, that's kind of become a big thing. Families are kind of, you know, for them it's home home videos, but for us it's kind of reality TV. So, and then people who are doing things, and I think about, um, there's a lady in Missouri, I believe, and they're known as like the quilting capital of the world. And she started doing instructional quilting videos on YouTube. Her town of 3,000 people is now, every storefront has something to do with quilting or it's a restaurant or it's, you know, it's going to the whole tourism industry side of things. So somebody, I mean, her family obviously is very involved in that, but probably somebody in that community had the foresight to sort of Prawn her along, or maybe encourage that family to do more things. So it's just really an amazing story. And we see the same thing in, uh, uh, Powhuska, Oklahoma. I know I'm not saying that right, but with the Pioneer Woman, that was another little town of 3,000 people, and they get 12 to 15,000 visitors a day to that community now. So those are big success stories, but they had to start somewhere. So I'm just, in- I was encouraging people to, um, Try to find those people they they may or may not be out there, but if they are, you want to know about it
0: so that's excellent advice when I was in this tiny little town in California, just outside <laughs> of Yosemite National Park, we had our own YouTube celebrity. We had the double rainbow guy he lived just down the road and I don't know if you've ever seen that video, and if it's too old for everybody, I'll link to it but yeah he there's a you don't see him on the camera, you just see what he sees, and he kind of comes outside and He's looking out over the mountains, and there's these. It's a double rainbow setup, one rainbow mm-hmm. above the other, and he's just amazed. And maybe he's on some substances, maybe he's not, <laughs> but he is very amazed at this double rainbow. And it, yeah, it was huge. And he ended up being on all of the talk shows, the comedy shows. He was yeah. on all those, and he was a huge YouTube celebrity. And I always thought, you know what? It would be great if we could use him to market this community, or we could set up some kind of, if you came to town, you could visit with him for, you know, $10 or something, all these kinds of things. And so when you said that, I thought, oh, that's excellent. That's more people need to do that.
1: And sometimes these people, especially in our small towns, they're characters and we know that they're there, but, and we're just like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so, but we've never really thought about it from a marketing perspective or from a tourism perspective. Like, oh, people, people would pay to see that. (laughs) Because <laughs> to us, you know, there's the character down the street and we're not really thinking that much of it. But, yeah, there's potential. So and we're always looking for those little things in our communities that, you know, might draw people.
0: Right. Absolutely. Things that aren't. Uh, it's just a great place to live, work and play. Yes. Right. Something Something else. that
1: makes us a little unique and different.
0: Exactly. You had a YouTube video that I watched. And that I understand. I understand YouTube. Uh, and it was about, well, first off, you were in your car. Seems like a lot of your videos are recorded in your car. <laughs> Why is that? Is that, you know, good acoustics? What's the, no, what's the reason? No, it's
1: just, uh, you know, we're always trying to carve out time to do some things. And so sometimes um, that was just sort of my set time in the mornings before everything else happened. Before I forgot, you know, I would I would do those real quick in my car
0: well i I enjoy them i think I think they're good. so in this YouTube video, you were talking about um when you're in a room with elected officials and your board or whoever it might be, and they're talking about economic development, sometimes we as economic developers uh stay quiet and are and are kind of meek and are sort of letting letting them talk and do with as they mm-hmm. drive the conversation in the ways that they want to drive it. and you were saying something uh different. so what was that advice that you were giving?
1: Yes. Right? We are We are the professionals. Like they hire us to do the job. And then sometimes they don't really listen to the things that we tell them, you know, that we're advising them towards, or they're just not even asking. And it's like, they hire someone, you're paying a professional to get trained. Um, you're paying them for their experience. And then they don't, they don't even ask, you know, they don't even really ask for your expertise sometimes. You know, that's just a and i'm sure that happens everywhere regardless of the size of the community so, right
0: so you would you say that it's incumbent upon the economic developer then to make sure that their their expertise is made available is is presented
1: well you have to know your audience you know and it's just going to depend on the dynamics of the room and if you know you can be assertive or you, you can't be assertive i mean it just depends on who you're working with so certainly you want to try to get your information out there. And I mean, that is our job, you know, to be the expert or, you know, to like, we have a lot of laws that we have to follow. So trying to keep the group on task and following the laws the way they're supposed to be followed and things like that. But they don't always listen. They don't always listen to us.
0: <laughs> That's right. They don't always listen to us. And sometimes they don't even necessarily want to hear what we have to say. And I think that can be intimidating. That can be, Mm -hmm. you know, scary, um, that can be upsetting. Do you have any advice for anybody when that, if that happens to them? What do you do in that situation?
1: When you're not
0: being listened to, when you're the professional (laughs) and and no one's listening to you.
1: Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, the board drives the decisions. So if they just don't want to do something, then, you know, you just have to go along to some degree with what they want to do, you know. Um, So you try to steer the best way that you know how. Um, but if it doesn't work out, then just my best advice is just don't get too upset about it. Just try to um, do the things that they're asking you to do or the things that they think they want to do. Um, obviously, there's ways to steer the conversation. Um, so just you know, those are some of the nuances that we do, that we talk about um, because it, it just depends on who you're talking to. Well,
0: I'm sure these are things that you're going to cover in your in your training. Some so, of it,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just it's hard to give a, just just one answer, you know, because it's so dependent on what's going on.
0: And so, when are you expecting your training to be available?
1: Well, I'm going to be promoting it soon to get on the wait list. Um, people can get on the wait list now if they want to. Uh, I want to open it back up in September so okay. people can start taking it again in September.
0: Good. Well, I will place that link in the show notes so that our listeners can can find it. I think that seems like it would be a very good thing for many of us. I'm looking forward to you know participating as well. I asked you about your favorite books, mm-hmm. and you had some excellent suggestions. So can you tell me about the—you told me three books. If you want me to tell you what those books were again, I can. Sure. No,
1: I remember um, which ones they were, but since you're filming, I'll just pull them out as well. Oh, good. For anybody watching, they can actually see the book. So, of course, I think this is one of the newer ones. Um, Economic Development is not for amateurs. It's very small. It's um, like it's 90 pages. It's a super easy read. And it's really kind of just the nuts and bolts of economic development. But it's really good, I think, too, for community members to read this so that they are kind of back to what we were talking about before. um, It answers a lot of those questions for those guys. So really great book. This one's new, Recast Your City by Alana Proust, and it's also an easy read. And she's talking about kind of saving your downtown with small town manufacturers or with small scale manufacturers. And this is really fantastic about just pulling out those people in your community that are making things. It can be anything and putting them in like a downtown space, helping revitalize your downtown, helping them market their products and. So, and she actually gives you kind of a blueprint in here on how to do that. So i loved this one. I told her, I said, you're speaking my love language in this book because, you know, that's, that's how we do things in small communities. And of course, this one, 13 Ways to Kill Your Community. This one's been out for a while and I've had this book for quite some time. Um, I recently read back through it and then invited Doug, the author, to be on our Summer Spark. And wow, he was a wealth of information and has a podcast. I didn't know that so that was good to learn and he was one of our canadians and he's working on another 13 ways to kill your community (laughs) so um it's tongue-in-cheek but it's really it's fun and it's very he says he puts to words the things that we are already thinking and a lot of the things that we deal with in our community and he has characters like roadblock roger and (laughs) the vampire volunteer and you know he has fun names for people
0: (laughs) oh yes all those all those characters that we have all those characters that
1: we we deal mm -hmm. with so he's got a lot of fun names and so it's a fun easy book to read as well excellent well jimmy i think that you have been an
0: excellent guest i appreciate (laughs) you taking time today to to jump on here and talk to us anything in closing that you would like to say
1: well, if you're in this line of work, it's not always easy to serve the public, but I just want to encourage people to keep doing what you're doing and try to listen to the majority, because the majority of people really appreciate the work that we do. But those, those few that are loud, they're just really loud, but there's only a few of them. So try to keep that perspective and remember that and not get too discouraged.
0: Excellent advice. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you.